Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Dialogues on Applied Channel Theory. I'm here with uh, Jason Robertson, and I'm Jonathan uh, Chang in Beijing. Jason is in Seattle. And today we're going to talk about uh, Yang Sheng and the Channels, which is uh, an article that Jason wrote, was it a few years ago? Yeah, it was, it was published. Yeah. yeah, at least probably three years ago, at least. Mm -hmm. And then this was also a topic that we, uh, or mainly you lectured on in uh, Rothenberg, right, on Yang Sheng and the Channels. So um, can you just talk about why you wrote this article? What was the motivation for it? Well, um, I mean, it's still, I think, uh, John comes down to, you know, what Dr. Wong was saying is like, what are acupuncture channels? I mean, the, 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 the article kind of grew out of um, some more fundamental stuff that uh, Dr. Wong talked about. It's like, you know, trying to figure out in a real anatomical sense, starting with that, uh, what are the acupuncture channels? And I guess even before that, then like, what is the Neijing what are classical texts saying about what acupuncture channels are? And in the process of exploring that, I would say combined with uh, just going regularly to Qigong classes here in Seattle and working at the Taoist Studies Institute uh, here in Seattle and Harrison Moretz, my teacher there, who is, he, he, I mean, a lot of what he's saying about what's going on in Qigong practice, of course, is happening within the channel. So the, the dialogue between my own experience with that uh, and what Dr. Wong was saying, and then reading the, some of the, the quotes from the Neijing, it all kind of came together. Uh, and interestingly enough, and we'll get to this as we talk, I'm sure, into you know, using the concept of acupuncture channels as a means of patient education. So that's one of the things I think for listeners here, what we're going from is kind of a theoretical discussion, but it, it gets down to some nitty gritty patient education stuff in the end. So first of all, can you uh, describe uh, what is Yangsheng? What, how do you describe that? What, okay, for people yeah. don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you've probably noticed this in Beijing. It's, it seems like kind of a, it, it, and I think you, we've been talking about this, or Dr. Wang was talking about this, um, you know, in the last decade or so in Beijing, and not just Beijing, all over China, this idea of Yangsheng has kind of become almost like a pop thing, right? Like a pop phenomenon, like even including like, certain stores or certain like there'd be, I don't think spa is the right word, but places where you go to Yangsheng nourish life or yeah, that would be, or yeah, engender health, nourish life, Yangsheng, different ways to translate that. Of course, Sheng is the same as Shenghu or life. And Yang is like to take care of or care for like Yang, like if you're going to care for a pet or a child, then you're going to, you know, care for your life. And so it's, um, I, I guess maybe it is one of the terms that, you know, when, when like non-native Chinese speakers think about like Chinese secrets for longevity, that's kind of what it is in a way, like how, what things do you do to increase the quality and length of your life? And of course that includes diet, especially uh, times of day that you do things and wake, et cetera, and Qigong and Taiji especially as well. So all these kind of things we do in our life to improve the quality of life are yang sheng. And uh, when I was, sorry, when I was looking at that, one of the earliest places, and this is in this article that I was, that I wrote, that this is mentioned is in Zhuangzi. And there's this famous story of the, of the, uh, of the cook. I think it's Prince Wen, oh, yeah. right? And the story is that uh, there's this, this king, Prince Wen, I think, I think I've got his right, his name right. Uh, in Guangzhou, so it's an early Taoist story. This is, this is older than the, I think it's older than the Neijing. Guangzhou is, mm -hmm. and um, he, the, the king is watching his his chef, and he's like, "Gosh, look at this guy! He's like, he's butchering this 
this uh, this cow or this this pig, and he's and he's working with his knife, and he's just watching him cut the flesh and go through it, and he's like effortlessly, and he never even has to stop in between his cuts, and he's like, you know, how is it that you're able to like make these all these cuts? And he's like, not only that, he's like, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've never even had to sharpen my knife. And he's mm -hmm. like, what? And he's like, yeah, I cut in a way where I go in between, where I'm in mm -hmm. between the structures and I'm not going into anything. I'm moving into the so-called, you know, like what we translate and talk about is the empty spaces. And the prince is like, oh my gosh, you know, just watching my cook do this butchering, I've learned something about Yang Sheng. And he does use that term Yang Sheng, nourishing life. And so what, you know, mm -hmm. what a lot of readers throughout time have gotten from this is this idea of, of what I think in maybe more of a Buddhist tradition, you'd call the middle way, like staying in between, staying out of the extremes of one direction or the other. But another way to think about this, of course, is the real anatomical fact of what the butcher was doing, right? He was putting his knife through these empty spaces, these pathways, and that in a more like material sense is also part of Yangsheng is considering this idea of the empty spaces. So that's yeah. where it began. Those are some of the early ideas of Yangsheng. And the so how did you, so how did you start making the connections between channels and Yangsheng or when did you start thinking about that? And well, I, I mean, I, of course, I mean, Dr. Wong's number one favorite subject, of course, was channels. And within that subject, if we wanted to keep it like just narrow it down to one of the most essential things is that the acupuncture channels then we can think of as being kind of similar to this, this uh, Taoist, this Zhuangzi story. They're the empty spaces, you know, the, the spaces in between. And <clears throat> not even, you know, a lot of times we're talking about the fascia and a lot of modern uh, discussion of acupuncture channels is their relationship to fascia and connective tissue. And I was talking to Dr. Wong about this once, and he's like, well, you know, the fascia is very similar to the acupuncture channels, but it's still not quite that even there. It's the, it's the spaces in between the fluids within the fascia that are the channels. And not only that, the ability of those spaces to be connected, and this is that concept of tone or resonating or moving through. And so when these empty spaces are all the fluids within them are moving within, you know, there's not any nodules, there's not any adhesions, there's not, you know, connective tissue problems, then the channels are functioning proper, properly. And then, of course, when the channels are functioning properly, this affects organ function, which affects health. So this is the kind of thing that Dr. Wong was saying. And I don't remember him specifically linking this to Yang Chung, though I'm sure if any of us had said it, he would have been like, yeah, of course, that's what I'm talking about. But I don't think he, do you remember him lecturing on it? And using the term Yangsheng in relation to channels. And maybe he did, and I didn't get it. I think in the, the latter part of his years, he was reading a lot more about like Qigong and different methods of like <clears throat> health cultivation to maintain uh, the body's health. Like he was focusing, for example, on like one is uh, like, you know, the main things that can affect the body. One is the, the external environment, but there's also like the emotional effects, right? Like the, the seven emotions and the um, five minds we talked about. Mm -hmm. And then, like, how how can we counteract those methods? One is just by uh, that's like by maintaining a healthy, I guess, emotional state. That's very good for the the channels. At the same time, he was also he liked that quote in the um, the Neijing that talks about you know how to live forever, you know, for, for uh, to achieve longevity, which is also by living pretty much like a a life like a monk, right, where you like sleep regular mm -hmm. hours you know, a lot, uh, not a lot, but you sleep at regular hours of, um, have good sleep routines you eat well you don't eat any like fatty greasy food and just things like that so dr one did mention that like these different methods of how to 
I guess, maintain the, the channels. But he didn't talk about it in, in, in excruciating detail, but he did mention it. And I think it was something that he was thinking about a lot in his, the latter part of his life. Can you remember more about what that quote from the Neijing is? I mean, maybe you can't sit here right now and quote it directly, but do you remember more of the context of what it, the Neijing, at least that paragraph or section was talking about? Or is it- Yeah, do you want, I can pull it up if you want. I, I can find the article, just one second. Oh yeah, you have it even um, translated into English, right? Yeah, yeah, I had it in, in that um, <laughs> article. That, remember when Dr. Wang gave the lecture on the, at the International Symposium? Yeah. On, the first international symposium, symposium on applied channel theory. Yeah. So that was uh, in that article. Let me see. I'm just pulling it up right now. So at the end of the article, he mentions like, because there are different ways we can maintain the channels, right? One is just through giving them patients treatments, right? From acupuncture or massage therapy or herbs. But then what you're talking about, like health cultivation, right? Like, um, and here, let me see. Where is it? And one, while you're looking for that, I, I, and I don't know if you have the, if you're bringing up the English version of the or a Chinese version, or you can look, but I'm thinking, and this is maybe a whole separate uh, podcast we can do later, so we don't have to go down yeah. this rabbit hole, but I believe that the actual term that the Chinese, that the text is using to talk about, you know, doing things appropriately, like sleeping at, at the right times and eating at the right times, once mm. you get, once again, we have that term jie, Right. There, yeah, has yeah, to yeah. Be, there has to be regulation within our lifestyle. And so that's I think we, we probably should set that aside as a whole other podcast is to talk about this concept of this, this character, Jia, which we I all think it's important to mention, like, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that's a very important concept, right? Like the rhythms, right? That's important to maintain those, those the rhythms in, your, in all aspects of your life. Right? Yeah. And so rhythmic, uh, rhythmic breathing, rhythmic eating, rhythmic sleeping. Uh, rhythmic emotions, as you're saying, um, these were things, I guess, as you're saying, that is in Dr. Wong's last years, especially probably he like like all of us, we begin to think about it as we as we age, and then maybe he, you know, like so many things that were in Dr. Wong's mind, he kind of would often wait until it kind of had had become right until he had something interesting to say about it before he would start talking to students about it. You know, probably many things he'd been thinking about for many years before he started talking to us about, because he wanted to be sure he was onto something, I think, in a way. And uh, this idea of, of Yang Sheng um, is, I mean, I'm sure I got these ideas from him. And then, like I said, also just from my own, my own thoughts about my own aging as well, and starting to think about how do we maintain quality and length of life. And so, uh, did you see it at the risk of sounding like I'm stalling while you're finding it? Uh, you I found it. it. I found it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long quote. I'll just mention it. It's in chapter one of the basic questions. So the Suwen. Oh, Suwen. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the translation was uh, from the teachings of ancient sages, avoid invasion from pathogens and wind, maintain a cold, calm emotional state and rid oneself of all desires and reckless thoughts in order for the true chi to flow smoothly. Um, I'll just skip some things. Um, and then if you are able to achieve that, then you illness will be avoided. Um, one can have peace of mind and be free of passions. Um, and so on and so forth. I'll just skip over it cause it's kind of long. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's basically it mentions things that you can't be full of envy or like desire for wealth, material wealth. Um, uh, so happiness is in a simple life. It says. So you shouldn't be motivated by, by greed or lust and things like that. So it's just like all these very basic precepts on how to achieve longevity. 
And yeah, that simplicity coming down, yeah, not yeah, to emotions and also just the stuff you choose to take in and your, you know, the, whether you go on, uh, on, a, on a long, slow kind of meditative walk versus a vicious jog or swimming at the top of your ability all the time, right? It even comes down to I mean, so-called exercise can also become pathologic, can, can create illness at a certain age, especially when it's too vigorous. So like just thinking of this, again, of Prince Way, it's Prince Way, I think is this guy's name, Cook. Mm-hmm. Or one way is cook, um, you know, this idea of getting in between the middle, not being too far on either side. So this is, yeah, these are the, yeah, so for all these different angles, this idea of Yangsheng is, is obviously in the Neijing. It was in Zhuangzi. It was in an early Taoist text. And, of course, it's interested people in modern China and, of course, in the United States are interested in this, whether they're calling it Yangsheng or not. And I think Chinese medicine has particular things to say about it, which can be compared and contrasted to you know, modern, uh, you know, pop culture about things to do to be healthy, you know, like taking too many vitamins, taking too many supplements, you know, there's, there's a point where like doing good things can be too much of that. And so this is where it gets a little closer to what I'm doing with like patient education and this idea of Yangsheng. But it all it really Yeah, go ahead. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna ask you. So when you do see a patient for every patient, do you give them like advice for on like Yangsheng advice for each patient or? I definitely give some variation of Yangsheng advice for every patient, uh, maybe not on every visit, uh, but every patient is getting, I mean, what, of course, what we're all trying to do, I feel like so many times is gently encourage people to make the lifestyle changes that make their work with us be redundant. And so that takes time. But as, uh, as we can educate patients to not continually re-injure themselves, and that could be re-injuring through emotions, re-injuring through sleep patterns, re-injuring through diet, et cetera, then, then, you know, then whatever we do sticks better. And part of that re-education, and this gets down to, uh, again, uh, very much um, coming from Dr. Wong's conception of what we're doing in the clinic, part of that re-education, if, if you think about it, is even down to palpating along the distal channels and having the person feel that their liver channel has this crazy sore spot in here. And we talk about the liver and its relationship to emotions, and we talk about the liver and its relationship to uh, structure and the pelvic floor or the back and or how, you know, the middle knee, this is why your medial knee, you know, here's the pathway. Like having people feel that we feel the channels, that makes some of these concepts of Yangsheng real to them. So instead of it being some uh, kind of theoretical thing that doesn't necessarily relate to them physically, when they can feel what we're doing physically, this is a part of education of Yangsheng too. Mm-hmm. So if you give them like uh, Yangsheng advice, they'll be kind of tailored to what you're feeling based on palpation and what they're presenting symptom-wise too? Yeah, and there is a subtlety to this, of course. Not with, I mean, not, uh, it's not like every patient, I give them a six-page handout and say, here, do these <laughs> lifestyle changes. It's more like this gentle pointing out that you have this tender spot in your leg and this goes up through your medial knee and you get this medial knee pain. And, you know, you have this certain dietary tendencies, you know, we might think of creating cold in the liver or something with diet. And then like kind of pointing out these connections and just kind of coming at it almost sideways and just leaving it on the table for them to think about instead of coming at them uh, like I have it all figured out and you need to follow my advice. And I found that that to be a really effective way to do it. And then just do that gently over many visits. Oh, you know, what do you have for breakfast? Oh, well, you don't have breakfast at all. You know, what? Why don't you try having something warm for breakfast and talk about the idea of the spleen and stomach and it being a pickling pot and it needing that warmth, that fire in the morning so that it can percolate and, and ferment all day long. So these kind of things, I come at it kind of sideways. I probably could be a little more methodical about it, 
actually. How uh, receptive are your patients to this kind of advice on like health cultivation or how do they take it seriously? Because, you know, from TCM, some of our understandings of health cultivation are a little bit different from, uh, from like the Western kind of medical perspective. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's another aspect of this. And all of us, uh, you know, I was talking to a patient who's also a practitioner the other day, you know, and basically what he pointed out, and this is true, each of us has our own kind of clinical persona, which is hopefully very similar to our persona and, and the rest of our life with our friends and other things. But we do have to kind of have our own persona in a way. And I think for each of us with this Yang Sheng idea, there's a persona there. You have to have a way of communicating this with your patients that reflects yourself. And so, right, right. And so for me, there's often a sense of humor about it. There's often uh, uh, also like connecting with them that like I go through the same stuff myself, you know, like I, I have mm -hmm. all kinds of Yangsheng issues I'm always trying to think about and, and improve myself and pointing out things that I've learned and also mm -hmm. not judging the person and not even like hammering it at them every week. But just uh, again, if you add the palpation part, they can really feel that, like if you just pound that liver right, right. six point and it's sore and the next time they come, it's less sore, then you can kind of positively engage them as well. Right, so, right, right. Um, and, then, and then we're going to get to, I think it, 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 what we've kind of set aside is what we originally started to talk about is what are the acupuncture channels? Like how do we, how do we talk about channels that reflects what Dr. Wong and the Neijing were trying, what Dr. Wong thinks the Neijing was saying? but then translate that into a way that your average modern patient can know what the heck we're talking about without us just mm -hmm. going way past them or way over their head or just way too deep on something. They're just here for knee pain, right? Like they don't want to hear about breath. <laughs> and so some people are definitely like that, but after yeah, a yeah. few visits, it sometimes takes like later visits where you get into it more. Right, 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 right. What do you think? I um, mean, are you talking about it a lot yourself and in, in your, in your patients there, or how do you handle this strategically for your own clinic? Well, that's a, that's why one reason why I wanted to talk about this topic for today's podcast is because like for some patients, I find it's easier to communicate those kinds of concepts with them. Some people I find it's harder because, and then I was just wondering how you approach each patient with uh, patient education. Yeah. And the, <clears throat> for some patients who have no interest and you can see their eyes glazing over and that's it. <laughs> and so that's true. But if at least, I guess, if you connect maybe the Yangsheng advice to their chief complaint, that helps. Mm -hmm. Like if they're, you know, having insomnia and you point out something about their diet or lifestyle that is affecting their sleep, maybe that's the doorway in. So you got to look for the door with every patient. And sometimes that door is not there for the first few visits. And then like some, suddenly later it opens or, uh, or sometimes it doesn't, of course, but I'm always looking for the door, but I'm not forcing it. That The key I think is not to force it and not to overwhelm people because, uh, they, I think that the, our passion for our medicine sometimes can come across and overwhelm patients who aren't necessarily interested in it. And it's really hard for me to imagine not being fascinated by all of this, but some people right, really right. aren't. And so that's, that's, I, that's one of my weaknesses, I think, is sometimes I get a little over-enthusiastic about all this with patients. So I've learned to try to put a little reins on myself sometimes when I'm talking about mm -hmm. this stuff. I think you're right though. So like once you start palpating channels and they start, you start feeling changes, for example, on their stomach channel and like, for example, lots of lumps or nodules, like from stomach 39 to stomach 36, then immediately you can say, Oh, like you have this, this is your stomach channel. You have changes here. And you look at their tongue and a big fat tongue with like thick tongue coat. Then you can say, you know, you might have some issues with your digestion and yeah. then you can start possibly with those patients. I find sometimes you can kind of like bring up that idea that, that concept, then they might be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do have loose stools or I do have constipation. Yeah. And then, and then have them feel the discussion. Yeah. 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 
what else do you do to start the discussion? Anything else? Do you talk about diet a lot or? Some people, but then I do have other patients who are really keen on knowing, like, what should I do? You know, I have this issue. How can I help myself? Which are, you know, and then there are other patients who are like, uh, they'll ask, so, so what kind of like Chinese herbs can I take for this? Like patented, like over-the-counter Chinese herbs, because you can get them anywhere in, in, in China. And then a lot right. of times I'm like, oh, wait a second. Like, I need some time to first figure out your constitution and what will be best for you. Because uh, some people, I think they really uh, generally think they need to be tonified, you know, even though they're not always deficient a lot of people tend oh, to ask, yeah. like oh what what do i use to tonify my spleen or tonify my kidney and then it's like i don't know if you necessarily need to be tonified right now right some people think you know they're not necessarily have kidney deficiency well that's interesting i mean that brings up another big concept but that is true i think that um now of course that's a different patient population you're working with people who are at least aware in a very basic sense of chinese herbal medicine and core concepts of tonification and sedation often are, are, are known there, but I'm definitely noticing in my patient population in Seattle, and I assume it's probably very similar in Beijing, that a lot of people who appear to be deficient, what really is going on is there's excess, there's something stuck, and that their apparent deficiency is coming from something that's stuck. So I find that, yeah, way more often is trying to figure out how to educate people about sedation and moving concepts and less about tonifying concepts. Uh, except the idea of sleep. Uh, you know, if, if there's anything that everyone's deficient in, it's probably sleep. And so that's the one thing that if people say, how can I tonify myself? I talk, talk, start talking about their sleep habits and talk about the idea of yin and it being nourished at night and the blood and the liver going into the liver at night. And so I begin, when anyone would go in that direction with me, I would say, if you're not sleeping well, there's no reason to take any herbs at this point. You need to start with that. So that might be one strategy around that. How many people actually will start to listen to your advice and try to change their <laughs> sleep habits? Well, then, of course, the other thing is they are under a little pressure when they come back to tell you that they did what you said, right? And then, really? Okay. I mean, are they going to lie to you? I don't know. I mean, I don't, that's why I mean being gentle about it. So they have permission to tell you that they didn't really do it. Um, I, the percentage, I don't know. Uh, I mean, 30% maybe? Okay. Certainly not, 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 you know, more than 50 I mean, I remember there's a, a very well-known acupuncturist here in Seattle, and he always would tell this story about he had this one patient who had this, you know, I can't remember even what the issue was, but he's like, what you absolutely must do is you need to go on a 20-minute walk, you know, at least twice, maybe three times a week. You have to go and get some movement. You have to do that. And so, you know, he said this a couple of visits, and the, the next visit, the guy comes, and he's like, all right, uh, did you get some exercise this week? And the guy's like, oh, no, you know, I've been so busy. I like, I haven't just haven't been able to do it. And he's like, look, put on your shoes and socks and let's go. And he just got, you know, took the patient out of the clinic and they went on a 30 minute walk. They came back and he said, <laughs> All right, that's $120. That's your visit. Today. <laughs> and he charged him for a 20 minute walk. It's like, now that's another way to handle life nourishing education, right? It's like just to be harsh about it. I don't have that ability myself to do that, but, yeah, right. but yeah, so that's, so I, again, to come back to what we're trying to do, if we can find a window in to educate people about what acupuncture channels are and like open up their mind to the physiological implications of that, then certainly not all, but a certain percentage of people, they get really fascinated by this and they get motivated by it. And again, That's true, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it, in Seattle, people are aware of yoga. People are aware of like breathing. People are aware of certainly of meditation. And so that's a way in is to talk about what is the, what are the, 
physiological effects of like yoga practice or, uh, or, or, you know, stretching or, you know, Pilates and all these different things. Like, and then I start to talk about like, you know, think about what's happening when you do like these weird movements, like in a yoga class where your arms are going up and back and you're, or in a Tai Chi class where you do these movements where you, you know, you move in ways that there's no way you would move if you were sitting at a computer all day. And wh what is the point of doing these odd movements? It's not necessarily just artistic and dance-like. When you're doing these movements, you're kind of opening up the nooks and crannies, you know, the, the strange little attachments in your body within the ligaments and connective tissue. And the act of opening up these different little places in the body has physiological effects. And that idea has been really just, that opens the mind for a lot of people Oh yeah, so that you know the, the reason I'm doing this is not because it's quote always been done that way, but because it's having an effect on me now of opening up you know my joints or opening up you know my elbows or literally opening up the spaces within my organs, and so that and then and then, and then you know talking to people of course about fascia and connective tissue and interstitial fluids and fluid health those are the kind of strategies I use as talking about what channels are. And then this gets to one of the other points I, was, I talked about in that article. Once you start to think about what channels are and the fact that the connective tissue and fluid system in the body is an important part of physiology, then you think, all right, lifestyle, yangsheng techniques, where that stuff really happens, where the action is, is in the channels also. Mm -hmm. Like that's where that's where the stuff hits the road is where is it within the channels. Even your dietary choice, you know, you have a big greasy hamburger, you know, that that change in the viscosity of your interstitial fluids due to a different fat metabolism, that that effect happens in the fluids that surround your cells, which are within the connective tissue, which is at least in my understanding of what Dr. Wong was trying to tell us, that's what the channels are. And so all of these lifestyle choices affect the channels fundamentally and then emotions, right? I mean, how can you, I mean, how would you describe John, like anatomically how anger affects the channels? I mean, I mean like not, I mean like physically, what do you think happens? Like from a TCM perspective or? Or yeah, or even from just an anatomical perspective, like what is going on? I mean, Sorry, I just for patients. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, like, I just think I usually explain it just according to Chinese just TCM concepts because I just say you know it causes like the qi stagnation or blood stagnation like uh, <clears throat> like like stress I mean and then I can lead to the formation of fire or heat rising upwards. That's basically my very yeah. simplistic uh, description to the patients. And um, but actually, what's actually physically happening? Um, I'm not too. I don't well, yeah, think very, about, I mean, think about like a tensing of the muscle. Like one of the questions yeah. I ask people to talk about, like one of my diagnostic questions I found to be helpful for like, you know, ganchi yuji, liver chi stagnation, yeah. or however we want to translate that term, yeah. is like certain people, you will say, they're laying there, you're talking to them, they're saying all these different things, and you stop and you say, look, do you just feel like at, at, at all times, all of your muscles have a low grade tension? Like you just can't oh, yeah, quite yeah, yeah. let go of all your muscles? And that in itself is a physical manifestation. It could be anger, it could be frustration, of course, we could call it that way. If you wanna talk about liver congestion as being like oppression, but still the person has a physical sense of tightening in their body. And then if you think of that tightening within the channel system, then the fluids aren't moving through it as well. There's like, and that's why the word constraint actually can be useful for this 
So they are yeah. constrained in their flow. And so then yeah. if the person can think about, wow, that emotional state I have that feels like muscles that are tight, and we've been talking about these interstitial spaces as having important physiological effects, then yeah, that's no wonder my blood pressure goes up or no wonder then, you know, right. I feel warm in the face and all these things. So right. I'm trying to find all the, it's all, like I was saying earlier, it's like a door with every patient. Some people, I would have never gone down what I just said to you because they're not interested in it, but, or it's more like the fifth or sixth visitor or seven months after I've started, right, right. but it gets in there eventually. I'm always kind of gently checking the door to try to find ways in and, and the, yeah, you have to have different strategies for different people. Right. And for those patients, usually you'll feel like tension in their channels, right? Like tension in like, like the shotgun channels, for example, Exactly. the, the size, tight, tight yeah. shoulders, the tight shoulders and like, um, yeah. The, the what I find recently, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, no, what go, I find recently, sorry, what I found recently too, that's useful when you have patients with that, like anger, or heat rising upwards, like in addition to like maybe physical symptoms they have, So in addition to the like, symptoms of like, you know, physical symptoms they might have, like, you know, like they feel angry or they have like, you look at their eyes and they have those like really red bloodshot eyes, you know, yeah. but at the same time, another thing that I find useful in addition to like palpation of like the distal palpation, but like feeling their, their head too, like just palping the neck and like the, the temple areas too for people. Um, sometimes you can feel a lot of tension in these like temporalis kind of muscles in that, that area. The gallbladder channel there on the side of the head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, and cool. Uh, and Xiaoyang, yeah, Sancho. Then also uh, just palping the, the, the pulses, arterial pulses on the head, right? So like the temporal artery pulse, like the one around GB4, GB5, that region. So I find What does it feel like? Like strange. you'll feel an elevated pulse or a tension or like a, what does it feel like? Describe it. It depends, it depends on the individual. Like not everyone with like liver young rising has that stronger pulse but some people if they have like like excess like a lot of excess fire rising upwards then you can actually feel like for example even if it's like more pronounced on one side mm. you can actually feel like the, the pulse much stronger on for example on the, the affected side compared to the and right you, side and i think that's always quite fascinating and you find that easier to feel the pulse there than at like stomach seven you know uh area on the cheek right is that did you I, compare those ever yeah did i compare those to like i yeah, I check all of them. I, sometimes I just do here, like, uh, sorry, the GB4 kind of temporal area, area. I'll check the area, but like the stomach seven region. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll check like the stomach nine too and just compare them all. Mm. And the, the typical Tsunko pulse. And uh, recently, I've been doing that a lot more recently and it's, it's quite interesting to see what you find. But it's not for like everyone with like liver young rising. It has to be when they have more signs of excess, it's, it's obviously more apparent. And have you gotten to a place yet where you can differentiate if there's more pulsing at one, it might be this versus the one at the other kind of idea? Nah, no, I can also, also, yeah. You or can see the correlation, right. like the connection. Yeah, you can see the connection between their symptoms and like the, like this physical, you know, channel examination too. Like from, and you um, definitely notice left-right differences. That's interesting too. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, yeah. Way yeah. more on one side. Yes, yes, yes. Just like yesterday, there's a patient with um, like who had like, tension, well, I stress issues, but like tension on the left side of the head, including the eyes, mm -hmm. just on the left side. And including like, she said dizziness, but it was also on the left side. And then um, she said recently, you know, she felt a lot of stress and this kind of anger rising, like love, irritability. And then like, yeah, on her left temporal artery, that region, the palm much stronger than the right side. Oh, that's and interesting. It, like f f significantly stronger. So like you can feel it, it's like pounding. Yeah. So in that case, I just use some distal points just to like bring the heat down, the fire down. So like Sandra 5, GB41, and, and I did liver 2 too. So like all those 
Mm-hmm. And then just after sticking the needles in, I just, while she was lying down, I just palpated the pulses again. You could feel it like it softened. It so I thought out. that was pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she could feel like, you know, at the same time, like, oh, like my head feels a little like looser, I'm like, not as tense now. And so, so you had like, pointed out to her that you felt that pulsing, right? So she was with you on that story. She could feel you noticing, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, I think that was useful for her because she was like, oh, am I, am I having like, uh, she's wondering if she's going to have a stroke or something. But then, you know, from Chinese medical theory, I was just saying, you know, it's like liver young rising, usually signs of anger and things like, like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, yes, I do have anger. I, I've been angry a lot recently. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think that like what you're saying, like the palpation helps to um, make the patients more aware of their body. And then I guess that as a result, they, they trust you more too. And they trust the diagnosis and they, they see that connection between what they're feeling physically and what's going on in their channels. And then, yeah, then they are willing to begin to make some of these lifestyle changes that we're calling Yangsheng. Mm-hmm. And so, or that, that not we are calling, that have been called Yangsheng for a long, long time. But yeah, so that's right. the idea of Yangsheng and the channels then, is using this concept of channels as a way of opening the door and getting people to make lifestyle change. That's another way of rephrasing this, this whole discussion mm-hmm. we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so in the, uh, in, in our efforts to always keep our, our podcast at relatively shorter lengths, I feel like we might want to wind down now. Although, I mean, I, I could go on about this of course forever, but that's the other thing with patients is knowing when to quit talking and to gently step away and leave them alone. Right. Um, another, Can I just ask one question here. though. Yeah. Yeah. Ask more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could go on forever, but yeah. Okay. Just one last question. Just cause you mentioned something interesting earlier about exercise and you're saying too much exercise can be bad. Can you explain what, um, what you've experienced with patients who like, how would you dis- define that or how would you describe, explain that to a patient you think that they're doing too much? Like, well, I think some people that, who do yeah. too much, sometimes they, they, they feel like they need it right? and they, they're, they love it. Well, see, I'm a little bit that type of person. I, I, uh, if I don't get, if I don't go on a long walk, at least three times a week, and I mean like an hour walk, and hopefully more than that, but at least that, and that's not excess at all. But if I don't exercise in general, then I start to get tense. I feel that tension in the muscles. I feel the cheek mm-hmm. and strain happening. So I can come at this with patients as a person. I mean, I'm not like a, we're talking in some ways about like people who are 50 years old, like my age now, who are still, you know, doing like eight mile runs five times a week, you know, then, Mm -hmm. and, and, and in those cases, I think one way in is to, is to talk about, this is, this is tricky with people, right? To talk about the idea of aging and change, not necessarily like an, an inevitable decline of your body, but a shifting in your body to where one thing is now way better now to do for yourself than it was earlier. So talking about um, the idea of the liver wood maybe is one way in I get into it and talking about blood and tendons and talking about the idea that, you know, if you exercise a ton, you're using a lot of blood and then that blood is not able to nourish the muscles and tendons. And the reason you're here is because your knee hurts and I'm not necessarily here necessarily to, get your knee all better so you can continue running, but also so that you can maybe make shifts in the type of exercise you do so that you don't need to come see me again. And then to point out that the image of wood in, you know, the image of wood is not like a gigantic, hard, dried oak tree that's 200 years old, but instead the image of bamboo that's flexible and, and, and like kind of loose and still moving. And so to have them think of, of, of nourishing blood and kind of having a more appropriate pace of exercise 
so that the wood stays flexible or something. I don't know. I mean, that, that's right off the top of my head. But you, you know these type of people. These are often very successful, very intense people who uh, do everything at 120%. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, another way I thought, here's another, I have another patient. He's actually a very successful guy here in Seattle. And I was seeing him the other day. And you talk about this idea of yin and yang, you know, so that everyone knows the yin and yang symbol at least. And some people want to live what you might call a big yang life. They want to do a lot. They want to work a lot. They want to succeed a lot. They want to exercise a lot. And then I point out that, you know, if you think of the yin yang symbol, then they have to have, if they want a lot of yang, they also need a lot of yin. And so in order to do that, especially as we get older, if you want to have a, it doesn't mean you need to get more and more fearful and shrink your little Taiji down to a little fearful, paranoid place, but to expand it, then you've got to sleep better. You know, you've got to eat better. You've got to take care of the yin side so that you can do the yang side. And this has really been noticeable to me personally in the last years of my life is that I'm always a big young person, but I've had to really learn more to take care of the yin side, especially, like I said, sleep and diet, uh, those simple things. And so I, I talk to them from my own perspective. I think as we age as practitioners, we get better at educating people about this because we can speak from the heart. We can speak from our own experience in a way. And that, that help, that's been helpful too. Do you ever recommend people to do learn Qigong or do methods like meditation or breathing techniques to help with you know, yeah. regaining a rhythm in their body or um, just for calming the mind and things like that? Yeah. I mean, if they're willing to listen, uh, I, I definitely recommend, you know, attending classes, you know, Qigong classes, or, you know, everyone has their own version of Qigong. If they can bring this idea of the channels into a walking practice that they do, or they can bring it into yoga they go to, or they can bring it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to take on the form of kind of Chinese concepts. It just has to take the idea of the channels and apply that in whatever exercise they do. You could probably even have a form of running. There's this thing going around Seattle now called slow running, you know, like somehow like if you just run slower, you can actually go further. And if you add the idea of trying to soften within this slow running, then you've got a Qigong practice, essentially. I would love to see someone doing that down the street in front of my house. Uh, I think they're in Beijing parks. You see those people that do extremely slow walking. Have you seen that yeah, where they just walk really like, like extremely slow walking? Yeah. Um, you you could it? try doing that. Uh, if you were to do it, take maybe five hours on your typical one hour walk. Oh yeah. It would be a whole day experience. Cause I am moving like a bat out of hell in the morning sometimes, but it gets me going, <laughs> but I got to think about it. All right. Uh, why don't we pause and, and enjoy the, uh, encourage the readers or listeners, not readers, listeners to join us for another podcast here. Uh, Should we also mention just that your article is on our website, right? I think it's on the website. Yeah, it's on the website it's... under the so, media links. Uh, Channelpalpation.org is the website. If we, yeah, and you I can think see we the article. To mention that. Yeah. yeah, Yang Chung and the channels, the article there. And, and we talk, there's that Zhuangzi quote is in there and other things as well. Okay, so Jason, thanks. That was great talking to you about Yang Chung. I think we could have probably talked about this a lot more. Um, and we will. Future, in the we should talk about the rhythms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, happy New Year, twenty twenty one, wherever you are.